Amen. Let's take our Bibles this morning. Please turn to Psalm 107. And uh, Psalm 107, and I, maybe I'll preach this morning's message tonight for those who are working the screens, but the Lord just burdened my heart about something else this morning. Psalm 107, while we were get up this morning and just reading my Bible and preparing and looking over the songs that we were planning on singing and Sing a lot of songs about our Redeemer. Hallelujah, my Redeemer. That's a new song. I really like it, though. And all oh, the love of my Redeemer, we've just learned a month or two ago. And, and then Redeemed, how I love to proclaim it, and the mercy tree, and all these songs that talk about our Redeemer. And we sing his praises, and we think about this great act of redemption. But then I remember, I am redeemed. The fact that I have a Redeemer means I am redeemed. That means I've been purchased by his blood. That means that I owe a debt. Somebody paid a price I could not pay. And that was the Lord Jesus Christ when he shed his blood at Calvary. When he gave his life for mine, as Judy sang. And it just stirs my heart this morning to think that being a part of the redeemed, understand this, there are certain privileges that come with that. One day you will sing the song of the redeemed. It's a song that the rest of the world cannot sing. They do not have Christ as their Savior. And we sing today the song of the redeemed, but it is a song that will last for eternity. It's a song that the unsaved don't even know. They can't understand. I was in Africa, and I remember on a Sunday afternoon hearing the drums, and we walked out and, and began to, we were trying to get actually away from them, but the way it echoed, we ended up closer and and I, and I begin to wonder in my heart, what are they singing? What are they chanting? What God do they serve? They, they sing a God in hopes of, uh, of being saved. They sing to a God in, in hopes that he can do something for them, that their gods of stone and their gods of the earth will somehow awaken their ears and hear, but we know that they can't. But I have a God that's already saved me. And he hears my cry, and he knows my heart, and he loves me. I'm thankful for that today. And as I was reading in Psalm 107, I looked up that verse, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. And I read a bit of the chapter around it, and just during the Sunday school hour this morning and during the songs, the Lord has burdened my heart about a message, and I just want to share it with you this morning. And uh, are the kids, uh, are they in this building or the other building this morning? Does anybody know? They've gone over to the gym. Okay, good. I, I just uh, The sound is on in the hallway, and I just want to make sure that uh, the kids don't hear this, just in case they're still milling about. Um, I want you to pray for Terrence. Terrence was the boy sitting right here on the front, and uh, Terrence has come to our church for a lot of years. He was in my master clubs when he was nine years old, fourth grade, and I, I came in, I was just greeting people, and I, I said hi to Terrence, and, and he just put up his hand. Like this, he didn't look at me. And I said, are you okay, Terrence? And he says, I'm just praying. He says, I need a miracle. I don't know what it is. I said, you want me to pray with you? He says, I just, I just need to pray. And he prayed through all the songs. The ensemble singing Mercy Tree, he just sat there and prayed. I'm just... It humbles me to see a little kid that'll bow his head 
in a room like this. It's to my shame, really. But I'm also glad that over the years he's learned he can go to a God that loves him. I didn't expect that to happen. Let's pray for Terrence today. Somebody else is going to have to do it, I think. <laughs> uh, I don't know what his need is, but let's, let's just pray for him. Brother, uh, uh, Brother Dennis Bousfield, would you, would you stand and pray for Terrence? And you know him from teens and all the rest. And... Dear Precious Heavenly Father, we praise you and thank you for a young man who has, knows where to turn. God, you're just, you are a blessing to all of us. We thank you for, for saving us. Mm-hmm. We just pray for Terrence now. We don't know what his need is for sure, but it's so wonderful to see him humbled and want to, he has such a, a need at this time. And we just pray your hand upon him. We pray your blessing. We thank you for our church family here who, who pray. We praise you and thank you for the blessings that you give us. And we just pray, Lord, that you'll... I'm not sure what his need is, Lord, but we just ask that you would just help him. Be with him. Help us all to remember him in our prayers. We just love you, Lord, and we ask you to be with him now in Jesus' precious, wonderful name. Amen. Amen. Let's read together Psalm 107, and we'll just look at a few verses at near the beginning, and we'll pray. But uh, look with me this morning. I looked up this verse, and I, I don't know about you, but when, when somebody's even when they're preaching, and, uh, you know, I, I hesitate to say this. I don't want us to be distracted, but I always read a chapter before, a chapter after the preacher be going on, and I'm, I'm looking at other things. And, and uh, not, not that I'm trying to be disrespectful or not listen. It's just that I want to know, what, what's, where did this come from? We can take a verse out of context. Understand this. Every single time we quote a scripture verse, we are taking it out of context. I don't mean to say that we were using it incorrectly. I'm just saying we're pulling that one verse out and letting it stand all by itself. And so sometimes that's fine. Other times that can be dangerous because it means something completely different. I, I'm, I can't tell you how many times I've heard somebody get up and say, well, the Bible says, behold, I stand at the door and knock, and Jesus is knocking on your heart's door. That is not what that verse means whatsoever. That was a rebuke to the church that let Jesus stay on the outside while they were still having church. Isn't that a shame? And Jesus is outside the church of Laodicea saying, I'm at the door and I'm knocking. Can I come in to my own church? And unfortunately, a lot of churches function like that today. I don't want to ever be a church that doesn't have God in our services. And I want him to be moving and speaking to our hearts. And, and so let us be careful as we take verses. So I, I read around and I, I thought, you know, I've heard that verse so many times. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. And I looked it up and I began to read the chapter. And, and, and God just began to stir my heart, especially as we were singing the songs of the redeemed this morning. And so let's read together. The Bible says, oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good. Amen. One person agrees with that. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy, 
and gathered them out of the lands from the east and from the west and from the north and from the south. They wandered in the wilderness in a solitary way. They found no city to dwell in, hungry and thirsty. Their soul fainted in them. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them out of their distresses. And he led them forth by the right way that they may go to a city of habitation. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We thank you. We praise you for all that you've done in our hearts and lives. Lord, thank you, uh, Lord, today for those that are saved on behalf of them. I praise your name today and thank you for uh, dying on the cross and shedding your blood to save our souls. Lord, if there's one here today that doesn't know Christ, oh God, I pray that you would draw them that you would speak to their heart, that the Holy Spirit's conviction would be such uh, that they, they could not turn away once again. But Lord, that they would put their faith and trust in Jesus before it's eternally too late. Father, bless our time in your word now, we pray. We pray that you'd speak to our hearts. Remind us that we are the redeemed. And Lord, that we have a responsibility before the Lord. And Lord, we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to show you from the scripture this morning what the Lord showed me early this morning. We see in verses 1 through 8 an Old Testament explanation. I just want to leave that there for a moment. We're going to look in a few minutes at a New Testament application. But I want you to see an Old Testament explanation. Of course, David, King David, that wrote the psalm, lived in the Old Testament period. He doesn't understand necessarily the age of grace, although he understands his God is full of grace. He's the one that said these words, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. And so he understands something about redemption. He understands something about being purchased of God. And even though he lived in an Old Testament time and he could not foresee the cross of Calvary and understand that when the Messiah come, that instead of leading his people into a kingdom situation, instead he would give his life a ransom for many. David would not understand all those things. Neither did the prophets of old. They prophesied, but with blinded eyes. Even the disciples, the Bible says that when the Lord Jesus Christ rose from the grave, it confirmed their faith, because it says right in the scriptures, for they knew not yet the scriptures that said he must rise from the dead. They were blinded. And yet Christ makes all things clear. So we want you to notice, first of all, the Old Testament explanation what David means when he says redeemed, he says, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy. You see, who does he mean the hand of the enemy? Understand redemption, as we looked at last Sunday on Resurrection Day, that redemption is to be purchased out of slavery. The enemy had made Israel slaves. I think we can understand, and as we read a few more verses, it is a very, very clear reference to their time of bondage in Egypt. Egypt was the enemy. And the people of Israel were in bondage to the enemy. The Bible says in verse 3, talking about God, and gathered them out of the lands from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. They wandered in a wilderness. Of course we're talking about Israel, aren't we? He's gathered them together from the four corners of the land of Goshen, and he's brought them into the wilderness in a solitary way. They found no city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted in them. How many of you remember the complaints of the Israelites? Oh my, we have no food. And God gives them manna. 
They said, our soul loathes this light bread. Give us meat to eat. And God gave them quail, the Bible says, till it came out their nostrils. He fed them well. Then the Bible says they cried for water. They were hungry. They were thirsty. And we know that Moses smote the rock and water gushed forth. Verse 6. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them out of their distresses. And he led them forth by the right way and that they might go to a city of habitation. Oh, that man would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. We see the Old Testament explanation of what this redemption was all about. Israel was down and out and God had allowed them to stay in the land of Goshen for over 400 years, serving the Egyptians as slaves. It was there that God would build a great nation. Think about the time before that. They were a small family, 70 in total, dwelling in the plains of Canaan and there. Uh, they were under attack and they were being uh, hurt by the Amalekites and others and God delivered them into Egypt. Now don't stone me, but I believe to protect them and to grow them. Isn't it, isn't it something that God uses trials in our lives to grow us? To help mature us? Israel, as a family of 70, would have had a very difficult time conquering all the people of Canaan, but as a mighty force of 3 million, they could drive them out. God had a purpose in all of that. The Bible says when they left Egypt, they went out with a high hand, and they, they, the Bible says they came up harnessed. That means they were ready for battle. They were armed. And they had the spoils of the Egyptians, and they went back to Canaan. After 40 years, they would cross the River Jordan and begin to battle. And though it wasn't easy, and though there were trials and lessons they must learn, eventually they would conquer the land of Canaan. God provided for all their needs. The Bible says in verse 8, he say, or sorry, verse, uh, back in Psalm 106, one chapter back in verse 8, nevertheless he saved them for his namesake, that he might make his mighty power to be known. It had to be known that there was a God in Israel, and God delivered them for his namesake. And sometimes we go through trials and we go through tribulations, but we need to be reminded that there is a Redeemer. And he can bring us through these things. He has purchased us with his blood. And we can have victory in the Lord Jesus Christ. But it's for his name's sake, not ours. That he might receive glory. I want you to notice in this Old Testament application as we look back at verse 2. Or explanation. As we look back at verse 2. The Bible says there's a responsibility that comes with this redemption. The people of Israel. I, I can't imagine... The Bible talks about how they left Egypt singing. Can you imagine their song? I have a feeling it was a new song. I have a feeling that there was some excitement in their voice. Perhaps if they sang an old song, it no longer had the sound of a funeral dirge, but instead it had some joy in it. It had some excitement. I said to my wife this morning, I said, you know, I love that old hymn, Satisfied. You know what I'm talking about? All my life long I had panted. I love the chorus. Hallelujah, I have found him. I said, but I've been in services where it's hallelujah, I have found him. And I said, I've been in services where it's hallelujah, I have found him. 
There's a difference in how we sing when we have joy. We're singing the praises of our God. Uh, And if Israel did not have a new psalm, they certainly had a revived and vibrant voice now to sing the praises of their God. And, And David reflects on that and he says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Boy, I fell under conviction when I saw that. That I am the redeemed. If I have a redeemer, I am the redeemed. The word say so is the word we find in the New Testament to profess or confess. If a man shall confess with his mouth, we often say we make a profession of faith. But I want to say to you this morning that a profession of our faith is more than with just our lips. We are rebuked in Scripture, it says, their lip, they praise me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And there's sometimes an imbalance in what we see on the outside and what is going on on the inside. And, and when I thought about that, I, I wrote these little notes in my Bible, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. And, and what does my life profess about Christ? What does my life, and I'm just going to give you a few things about what it is or how we are to profess Christ. Number one is my life. Do I walk in faith? Do I believe that not only is God able, but that God will? That he will keep his word? That he will fulfill his promises? We often say we have an almighty God, and we have an all-knowing God, and we have a God that is everywhere, and we have a God that cares But do we make it personal and say, not only does he care, he cares for me. I can cast all my care upon him because he cares for me. I I can go to him in prayer and and like little Terrence this morning, I can sit in a church service, not worry about what anybody thinks. And I got a burden to my heart and I can bow my head and I can seek my God's face. I said at prayer meeting on Wednesday night, we often, we, we, we like the little cliches that Christendom brings us. And we said, well, we have no power in the church because nobody comes to prayer meeting. And I, I, I understand what they're trying to say, but I disagree somewhat. We have no power in the church because when we do come to prayer meeting, we don't get a hold of God. That's the real problem. We bow our heads and we pray and it never gets further than the rafters. Do we spend the time in the cleansing of our hearts? Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is heaven. And then we are to ask for forgiveness of our trespasses. Forgiveness of our sins. The problem is not the attendance at prayer meeting, it's the heart at prayer meeting. Are we seeking him? Are we seeking, does my life profess that I know Christ? Do I have power? The power of victory in Jesus Christ, the power of an overcoming spirit that we can can walk godly in Christ Jesus in a holy and a separated life. Let the redeemed say so. My life must profess. Are you somebody that somebody else would come to you and say, would you pray about this for me? Can you be trusted 
with somebody else's deepest burdens. The Bible says we're to bear one another's burdens, but how can we do that if we don't trust? If we don't believe that that person walks with God? I'm not here to say we ought to start looking at our neighbor and judging their spirituality. I'm not saying that. But I'm just saying that when we have a life that lives right and, 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 redeem, and professes that we are the redeemed, people can see it. And people know. If I have a burden in my heart, that's the person I want to go to. Several weeks ago, I, God burdened my heart about a message, and I went around to a few people in the church. I said, would you pray for me this morning? And I didn't tell everybody. I just went to a few that I knew would get a hold of God. I'm not saying that as a condemnation against anybody else. I'm not saying I didn't ask you because I don't trust you. I'm just saying that I, I, I just wanted a few. And I just, a couple families, a couple couples, and said, would you please just take some time and pray this morning? This is burning my heart. Are you one of those people that professes you are the redeemed? Your life ought to say it. Here's the second thing I thought of. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Our life ought to say it, but our love ought to say it. Is the love of Christ written on your face? Redeemed and so happy in Jesus. No language my rapture can tell. I, I know I'm guilty of it too. That'd be the happiest people we know. Back in 1998, I went to a conference with Pastor McLean and Pastor Massacre and Pastor Shaw. And we were down in Ohio and we went into a shoe store. And Pastor McLean said, I need some shoes. And they had a buy one, get one free deal. And I said, you buy one, I'll get one. That's a good deal right there. <laughs> but we were just walking through the store and he was whistling. Jesus loves me. He was whistling, Jesus loves me, as he walked through the store. And he got his shoes and got to the checkout. And the girl says, you're awful happy today. Something was different. And she says, I recognize that chorus, but I can't think of what it is. He says, it's Jesus loves me, this I know. He says, how could you not help but be happy when you're singing that? And she says, I remember that from Sunday school years ago. Your love for the Savior, is it evident on your face? Is it evident in your life? Is it evident to others? Somebody said, nobody cares how much you know. They want to know how much you care. Do people know that we love them? Do they know that Christ loves them through us? Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. It should be professed in our life. It should be professed in our love. It should be professed in our looks. You say, well, you Baptists, all you ever talk about is women's clothing and clothing. Listen, I'm... I'm, I'm I rarely say, the Bible still talks about modesty. Let me just say this. The Bible says that what, how, how we appear professes something about us. I'll take this verse and, and I'll share it with you. Listen, 
that women should adorn themselves in modest apparel as women professing godliness. Now let me say this. I'm not here to draw lines and say this is what you wear, should wear and you shouldn't wear, but I want, I want to say this. I never want to walk downtown and people say, is he a Christian? I don't want everybody to look at me and ever, ever mistake that I'm a man or a woman. I, I don't want anybody to ever say, look at me and say, does this guy struggle with being effeminate? How we look professes something about us. The joy on our face, the clear lines of distinction between a man and a woman. I, I'm not saying, listen, I'm not saying that somebody that puts on a suit and tie is any better than anybody else. I'm not saying that. Uh, man looks on the outward appearance, and God looks all on the heart. That doesn't mean God doesn't care about the outward, though. I'm just saying that, that I, I, want, I want the redeemed. I never want anybody to say, I'm not sure that guy's saved by the way he's looking or behaving or acting. I'm just saying there ought to be some difference. Years ago, we had a family come to our church, the Garcia family. Some of you might know them. They've been here for different things, cantatas and stuff. Hendrick and Brittany immigrated here when she was nine months pregnant. Drove all the way from Utah. Imagine that in a car when you're nine months. She delivered two days after she got here. Incredible. And because they were going through the immigration process, they could not leave the country until that got taken care of. They'd already applied for everything. Everything was okay. They, just, they could not cross the border. And of course, when you have the first grandbaby in a family, grandma and grandpa want to come, and the sister and the two brothers wanted to come and visit, and the Benson family, all the way from Utah. So they flew, and they flew to Buffalo. And so they asked me, would you go to Buffalo and pick them up? I said, sure, no problem. And it had been a busy week, and I didn't think much of it. I got to the end of the week, whatever day they were coming in, I jumped in the car, and I drove to Buffalo, and I crossed the border, and I got over there. And when I got over there, my phone didn't work anymore because now I'm in the States. And then I went, I have no clue what these people look like. I don't know who they are. I'm about to step into an airport with hundreds and maybe a thousand people down there in the baggage claim, and I do not know who they are. I can't call anybody. Kids, this is going to shock you, but back then they didn't send pictures on phones. My phone folded in half, and guess what it did? It made phone calls. I know that's a foreign concept. And so I, I kind of felt out of touch, and I thought, what am I going to do? I walked into that room, and it was swarming. All three baggage carousels were full, and there was three different flights unloading. There must have been seven, 800 people in that room. And I walked in, and I went, there they are. I knew immediately. I don't, don't tell me how I knew. I just knew there's something different about these people. And I walked up, and I said, hey, are you, are you Richard Benson? He says, yeah, you're Pastor Fury? I said, yeah. I said, well, let's go. He says, we got in the car and I said, I got to be honest with you, I never saw a picture. I didn't know who you were. I said, but I, when I walked in that room of all those people, I just knew you just stood out. Something's different. He said, how were they dressed? I don't even remember. Nothing to do with their dress. There was just something about them. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. We ought to be different. That's the Old Testament explanation. 
What does it profess about us? Can I give you a New Testament application? Look at verse 8. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Look at verse 9. For he satisfieth the longing soul and filleth the hungry soul with goodness. Let me show you what David is doing here. What a, what a master songwriter. Verses 1 through 8. He tells us that God is worthy of praise. And by the way, we ought to be the ones that are doing it because let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Not just in what we say, but in, in our life and, and in our love for others and all these things. We, it just is so much to unpack in that verse. And I could go on and on about the things we ought to look different. We ought to smell different. We ought to act different. We ought to uh, sing differently. We ought to have a joy. You ever been to a funeral with unsaved people? Preach funerals and... Every funeral has unsaved people there. Everybody has family that's unsaved, cousins, aunts, uncles that come from different places. And, and every funeral, they want to sing Amazing Grace. Every funeral. 99% of them anyway. Everybody's sitting here saying, I'll cross that off my list. No. But that's what we always pick, right? Amazing Grace. We want that at the funeral. Great song. And you can tell the ones that are saved and believe it and the ones that aren't. And the ones that aren't, they know the words because they've been to funerals before. But you can tell. I'm just saying there ought to be a difference in the redeemed. Well, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let your, let your, your, let your face show it. Let your heart show it. Let, it. let it come out. Look at what he says in verse 8. So he says, you ought to praise God. And, and, and the redeemed are the ones that ought to praise God. And he tells them why they should praise God. God has redeemed you. He's brought you through the wilderness. You were hungry and you're thirsty and your soul was fainting. But you cried unto the Lord and he delivered you out of your distress. All oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. He's talking past tense, past tense, past tense. But look at verse 9. For he satisfied the longing soul. Now he can do it. Yes, he did it all in the past, but he still satisfies the longing soul. The hungry and the thirsty, they're satisfied. Turn, if you will, to Matthew chapter 5. And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Look at verse 6. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. There's a quenching when we come to Jesus. 
The Israelites were hungry and they thirsted and their soul fainted in them, but they turned to the Lord and the Lord heard their cry and in their distress he delivered them. And we know how. He gave them manna and quail and water to drink that satisfied their physical needs. But now David says in verse 9, he satisfieth the longing. David is a thousand years removed from the time that Israel came out of Egypt. And he says today, just as sure as it was all of those years ago, Jesus, my Lord, God, my Savior, satisfied the longing of my heart and he fills the needs of my soul I want to say to you today in the New Testament application nothing has changed all my life long I had panted for a drink from some cool spring hallelujah I have found him and what a wonderful wonderful principle of scripture you ever wonder why Jesus said Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Jesus said, I have meat to eat that ye know not of. What was that? The nourishment of the Father. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. I am the living water. He told the woman at the well, if she would take a long drink, she'd never thirst again. I have a well springing up unto life eternal. Oh, friend, just like Israel of old, wandering in a wilderness, we have empty souls and spirits without Christ. But he is the bread of life. And he is the fount of living water. He loves you very much. You say, what do I have to be redeemed from? The slavery of sin. This world, you might as well call it Egypt. We are slaves to it. We've got to this point where we don't necessarily believe in redemption anymore. I'm not saying we as a congregation... But I just see it in modern Christendom. Pray this prayer and you'll go to heaven. Salvation without repentance. Salvation without redemption. Without a change taking place in our life. Could it be? Could it be we've drifted in that direction because the redeemed are not saying so? David said, let me tell you how good my God is. When we were in the wilderness, he fed us. When we were thirsty, he gave us water. When we had no place of habitation, he led us through that place and brought us to a home. Oh, praise the Lord for his marvelous works. And he's encouraging Israel by song. To do the same. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Don't let us ever forget what God has done. Somebody said this. We would win more people to Jesus if we had something to win them to. What a condemnation on powerless lives. Are we living for Christ? Do people have or do people want what you have? 
Do people want what you have? Are we professing it that we're redeemed? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning. Oh God, that he would help us. Help me to live the life of the redeemed. To live a life that shows that we've been purchased. That we belong to the king. Our life is different. Our love is different. We look different. We act different. The altar's open. If God has spoke to your heart, would you step out and come? As you pray, would you pray for this preacher as well? Sometimes we don't let the redeemed say so because we're fearful what others may think. Let's stand to our feet this morning as some come. Maybe there's someone here today say, Preacher, I'm not sure I'm saved. I don't know that I am redeemed. There is a redeemer. And he's paid the price. It's already paid. All you have to do is come to him now. Just come. We'd be happy to take a Bible and show you what it means to have eternal life, how you can be part of the redeemed by trusting in Jesus Christ as your Savior. For by grace are you saved through faith. We'd like to help you today. Has your life changed since you prayed that prayer? Maybe they were just empty words. But when somebody comes to know Jesus, he comes in and he totally changes us. Rearranges our life. Makes us as part of his family. We are the redeemed. If that hasn't happened, if it was just a prayer, if it was just empty words, don't believe for a moment you're on your way to heaven, but make sure today by calling on Jesus Christ to save you,